Good morning, Heritage. Oh, man, what a privilege uh, it is to be with you. So many years ago, before a lot of you were born, we were trying to form a group, uh, a little committee, uh, was trying to form Blue Ridge Presbytery, and Pastor Hohenberger uh, wanted this church to be a part of Blue Ridge, and we all wanted you to be a part, and it wasn't God's will, but I got to meet some of you then. Uh, and then a most delightful thing happened in uh, 2018, and that is that Steve and Joanne Hohenberger agreed they were attending our congregation in Charlottesville, where I was still the pastor of Grace Community Church. They agreed to come with me uh, on a missions trip to Malawi, Africa, that ended up cementing our friendship uh, and doing a lot of other things, including uh, not many months later having me uh, go to my elders and say, brothers, I think it's God's will for me to work full-time doing this. And they consented and did more than that. And uh, so here I am today uh, with a thankful heart. And I'm going to invite you to turn in God's Word to Mark uh, chapter 4, verses 26 and following. And I forgot to ask if you all stand for the reading of God's Word. Do you do that? Do you want to do that? Let's do that. Because this is the infallible and inerrant part of the sermon. <laughs> so let's... We can, we can do that. <clears throat> this is God's holy word, the words of our Lord Jesus. And he said, the kingdom of God as if, is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out large branches so the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately explained to his disciples. Uh, privately, he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's join together in prayer. God, our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for these words of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit that he's not only in this room and that he is for us, but for those who believe he is in us. And so uh, we ask that you would let him do his work through the words of our Lord Jesus in our text. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Prepare to attack. Charles B. MacDonald, in his classic World War II autobiography, Company Commander, recounts the first time he heard those words. He was Company Commander, he was 22 years old, <clears throat> had himself only been in light combat at, at this point in time, and he was told to prepare to attack, to get his company ready to get on the move to attack the German army. He had lots of fears that night. 
He feared letting down his own men as he was inexperienced in combat, and many of them knew more than he did. But before he could launch his own attack, a fierce attack came on his own position. Soon he was ordered to dig in and defend at all costs. I always think that's an interesting command. It's easy for you folks back there to say defend at all costs. You want to come up here and help, we're ready. Defend at all costs. So fierce was the fighting that soon the artillery supporting him had to limit the number of rounds that they fired. Sadly, he saw the first fatalities in his unit. He had two U.S. tanks supporting him in defense, but soon they were facing 10 tanks and they fled. He was ordered to hold at all costs, was facing 10 tanks with mere men. And though they tried their best, soon his unit retreated in pieces. He found himself surrounded, cut off, running, trying to find his headquarters. He wondered on the one hand, will he live? But he feared that he might live and be forced to resign or face court-martial. He didn't see the big picture. He didn't know that he was fighting in the opening rounds of the largest and bloodiest Army, U.S. Army battle of World War II, the Battle of the Bulge. What does that have to do with our text, you think? Where's he going? Surrounded, cut off, overrun. Do you ever feel that way as a believer in Jesus Christ in this time, this culture, this place, this season? The things that we've been through, COVID is not quite done with us, and we remember the damage that we faced as churches with COVID. We're terribly divided as a nation, and what used to be discussions turn into debates and fights, and some of us just don't talk about those things anymore. Modern sexual ethics and the pressure to conform has left many churches in headlong retreat from biblical norms. And others of us wonder, what just happened in my lifetime? Sometimes we feel surrounded, cut off, in retreat, fighting to the last disciple. And into our tension and fear comes these two parables to give us some hope and some good news. And if you're one that takes notes, the kingdom of God grows mysteriously, parable one. Secondly, the kingdom of God grows dramatically. So into our confusion today, Jesus speaks and teaches us how the kingdom of God grows mysteriously. He says, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Now, these two encouraging parables were preceded by one that I don't think, depending on how you read it, is all that encouraging. The parable of the sower. 
And, and if you've been in ministry, you've been in a, a pastor, elder, Sunday school teacher, youth group worker, whatever you've done, you've seen the parable of the sower work out. You sow the seed. Now, there's some good seed. There's some uh, great fruit that happens, but then you see sometimes the seed falls on, on hard ground, rocky ground, tough soil. Sometimes it springs up and then dies off quickly. That's not overly encouraging, but it is terribly realistic. And into that possible discouragement, he gives us these two parables. It reminds me of uh, a few years ago, we, we moved, uh, hoping to have an age-in-place sort of home, but we, one thing that that home didn't have was a flat yard. And uh, the backyard that little few people could see, I uh, had real negative emotions about cutting the grass on that uh, hill. And so I asked, uh, we have uh, an agriculture department with ELI. It's grown so fast that it's now its own group, Equipping Farmers International. If there are any farmers here, talk to me afterwards. We have a job for you. Um, the, the guy who lives in uh, wood, uh, wood, not wood, Woodbridge, he lives uh, across the, the valley from me, across the mountains, Mike Cooley. I said, Mike, what do I do with this hill? Uh, I don't ever want to cut it again if I can. Uh, but I don't want to spend $15,000 landscape. Like, what do I do with this? Because he uses conservation agriculture, stuff that works with, with nature, with God's design. He said, have you ever thought about putting in a wildflower meadow? There's such a thing. And he described to me what to do, where to go, how to do it. And I was smart enough, and my wife was kind enough to agree to pay somebody to prepare the land. You talk about the rocky ground where I live, and... So husband and wife team, they cleared the rocks, they got the ground ready to go, and then I sowed the seed. And it, it, it wasn't just overnight, because what happens is you plant them in the fall, and all you see is little green shoots, and then they kind of do their winter thing, and then the spring came. And I, even though we can explain what happens biologically, it was magical. All of a sudden, the most beautiful flowers begin to bloom in my backyard. I've done nothing to fertilize them, treat them, other than just put the seed down. It just comes up mysteriously. And the Lord Jesus is saying, this is the gospel of the kingdom. The message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the call to faith and repentance and all that's involved when we respond to that message. It, you plant the seed and you wait day, night, Weeks, months, and then it springs up mysteriously. Now, I have the privilege of serving a, a country in southern Africa called Malawi, helping pastors there. So we, uh, we aren't the ones with beautiful feet in this case. It's the people that we serve. It's the pastors that we help to get tools that they're unable to get. 95% of pastors in the world have this much formal training for the calling. Zero. That's, that's from Lausanne, they're like, did Don just make up a stat? Lausanne Committee for World Evangelization says that. Well, what if they're off 10%? Still a lot of people, right? No training. And, and in this part of Africa, Christianity is growing incredibly rapidly through both biological growth, but also evangelistic growth. Now, it wasn't always that way. You read the stories of the early missionaries in Malawi was evangelized fairly late in about 1850-something, uh, and a famous missionary, David Livingston, was one of the first ones there. He was missing, 
That's because Malawi was so far away and hard to get to. Nobody knew where he was. They found him, and Dr. Livingston, I presume. Great story of missions. But what you don't know is the original results were not all that great in the beginning. There were some converts. There were some churches formed. They did great leadership development. Um, That's probably the strength of what they did. But, you know, they were sowing seed. And then in the 20th century, the seed began to come up like that wildflower meadow. But it's not always that way. Sometimes it's hard and takes time. I remember one Sunday morning at Grace Community Church, I was uh, sitting in the sanctuary. The worship leaders were practicing and getting, getting things just right. By the way, I love that grand piano. There's just nothing like the real thing. <laughs> I'm a musician myself. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sitting in there, and I'm going to be honest, Pastor Confession. I was praying... Uh, not, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men, like the Pharisee. I was going, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to worship you today. I'm in such a bad frame of mind. There had been some conflict, something, I don't even know what, it, I don't remember what it was, thankfully. But something was going on, and it wasn't fun. And it wasn't resolved. And I'm like, I know you're worthy of praise. I know I should praise you, but I don't think I can. Would you help me? Usually, honestly, God doesn't answer my prayers quite this quickly, but I feel a tap on my shoulder. And I look around, there's a young, young woman, and she says, she's very, five she says, you're Don Ward. And I'm like, yes, I am. She introduced herself, and she said these words, bad theology, but very encouraging. She said, you saved T.C. Epperson, and she saved me. T.C. Epperson lived in Dayton, Ohio when I knew her. As far as I knew, she was as converted as I was. I don't know. I don't even know what. I know we probably taught her about grace in ways that were new and fresh. She was a part of an Air Force family. And so somehow T.C. had grown in that church, and she had led this woman to faith in Christ. And the woman had driven from Lynchburg, not even knowing whether I would be there that day, to meet who she perceived to be her spiritual grandfather. I didn't have any trouble worshiping the Lord that day. Oh my goodness, was I full of joy. The seed had sprouted and not only had it grown in one person's life, but they had taken the fruit of that harvest and given it to another person and that person had been converted. This is the power of the gospel. This is what happens. And it's not because of our greatness, our strength, our ability. I think sometimes, you know, if anything, I look at my ministry and think of all of my inadequacies. And yet, still, the gospel spreads. You know, you may be frustrated with yourself today. You might be thinking, you know, this progressive sanctification isn't exactly working for me. I seem to fight the same battles every week, every day. Don't lose heart. Jesus is is going to sanctify you. He's going to reform your ways and your deeds. Don't fight him. That won't work well. Get help. Don't try to grow on your own. Get help. You know, there's so much bad news that we, we sulk as Christians sometimes. But remember the words of the Apostle Paul. The, the early church, there's great stories. I'm reading through Acts right now. Great stories, but they're not all great stories. And he says in a difficult 
environment that he's preaching the gospel, he tells the church at Rome, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The Jew first, then the Gentile. He saw what Jesus was talking about. If I just sow the seed, there will be results. There will be fruit because there's a power in the name of Jesus being preached faithfully and biblically, whether from a pulpit or over a cup of coffee. But sometimes you and I, friend, are guilty of low expectations, surrounded, cut off, holding to the last. I love, and I didn't expect it, I love that the call to worship was read in three languages. You didn't know what I was going to say today, but you do know that you live in an international community. And there's a lot in the Old Testament about the love for the foreigner, the sojourner, the stranger. You know, you, you go to a, a foreign country and you don't speak the language and uh, you get a little taste of what people feel like when they come. Now, some of them are, are the intelligentsia of their country. They've come here to go to school. They're, you know, you don't come from other countries here to learn unless you're in the top percentage. There are some countries that wouldn't let you go if they didn't think you were going to be very successful. And so there's those folks that are nearby. You know, they shut those campuses down over the holidays. And a lot of those folk don't have anywhere to go. What about your house? Could friendship lead to something. It's not like you have to twist their arm and say, repent and believe the gospel, but you sit down at that Thanksgiving dinner, that Easter celebration, and you say, in our home, we believe in the one true and living God, the Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. We're going to pray for the meal. And you're, you're going to just let them be a part of whatever it is you do to love Jesus. What an opportunity and then there are the immigrants that have come here with great hope. Hoping for the ability just to earn their daily bread, feed their families here and back home. But you know one of the hardest mission fields, I think, in evangelism opportunities is our own children when they grow up and uh, they, they had a different direction. Happens often. I have the privilege sometimes of hearing about young people I knew years ago and what the Lord did. So in uh, telling a former elder uh, from Ohio about our ministry, we said, well, tell us about your boys that were now men, both of whom left home and immediately said, yeah, this faith thing, not for, for us. The oldest boy uh, lived in nearby in Springboro, Ohio, and a local church that I knew about, not PCA, but good Reformed Baptist folk, they were having a VBS and invited his children to come to Vacation Bible School. And the little daughter, I had a couple of them, she comes back home from VBS, Daddy, you need to have us children in church this Sunday, and you and Mommy need to come with us. And that little evangelist, they listened to, and they came, and he came back to the faith of his childhood. His wife was converted, and now they go regularly. The younger son is an elder in a PCA church now after his time away. 
I think there's something to pause and think about for those of us who have children that are some way resistant to the faith. Remember this parable, we do not convert them. You know, we like systems that we can control and influence. And our unbelieving children are not one of those. We can influence, but we can't control. We influence them by getting on our knees and saying, Father, my heart was hard. I didn't love you. And sometimes I don't. Oh, what would you do for my daughter and my son what you did for me? And in the humble spirit of the power of sovereign grace, we, we don't try to tell them all the time, but we sometimes ask questions like, what do you believe these days? Do you mind telling me? And sometimes we just be quiet and listen and go, now I know what to pray about. Don't forget that farmer waiting day and night Night and day, when's the harvest coming? But secondly, I want you to notice the kingdom of God grows dramatically. We know this parable well. I didn't bring a little mustard seed, uh, but he says the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard. And, and of course, it's obvious what it's saying. There's, there's ridiculous increase from what's, what it starts with. Many of you have in your spice rack mustard seeds. They're not, not like spores, but they're very small. But the plant is more than 100 times larger than the seed, maybe 1,000 times or more larger. So in the context of the mysterious growth of gospel ministry, against the possible discouragement of the poor results, there's another encouragement. We could also title this section, Don't Despise Small beginnings. In 1949, the communist government of China kicked out every missionary they could find, and some that probably weren't missionaries got kicked out. They tried to kill as many pastors as they could find and imprison the rest. They tried to destroy the Christian faith. The church in China was not especially sizable at that time. One of my great privileges as a young person was to hear a missionary who had been kicked out in 1949, who in the 70s returned to see what had happened to the church in China. It's still growing. It may be the largest number of Christians in the world. And even now, when the persecution has heated up again, it's still growing and multiplying. Korea is a similar story. Now, the needs throughout the world are different. There's some places where what our brothers and sisters need us to do is help them do the job. That's what Equipping Leaders International does in the developing world. People that may not have the money to leave their own village. How do we get them training? Well, it's by training others who can train them, who can go there. So don't lose heart brothers and sisters. Don't let the noise around us, sometimes we tune into the noise and we don't hear the gospel. We don't remember the power of the gospel. Sometimes we, we get protective. Now listen, don't hear me saying uh, we shouldn't worry about orthodoxy anymore. That's not our problem. We should worry about evangelism. You know, we can do two things at once. <laughs> we don't have to choose between being faithful to the scriptures and loyal to the Great Commission. And there's another thing in the motto of the PCA. We could do three things at once. It, it's 
There's enough of us around that we can do all those things. But the simple reality of evangelistic math is the people who share the gospel see more converts. (laughs) I'm sorry, you know, I hope that doesn't shatter any of you uh, to realize that if you never share your faith with anyone, it would take a, a miracle for anyone to be converted through your influence. And let me give you a, a little bit of a warning, and, and it's actually a joyous warning. If, if you go back and you read this parable again, and you start studying the kingdom of God and all that's said about it in Scripture, and you begin to think about this, there is a danger that I have to warn you about. It's a delightful and joyous danger, and that is you may actually get it. Like, you, your sort of normal, very well-managed Christian faith might get out of hand. You might be like one of the men that leads the men's group by men, and you know, yet another homeless person has been in their home for a month. Finally, they found her a place. It could get a bit out of hand because of what the Lord Jesus could do in your heart, which is the kingdom of God is not an abstract principle. It's a person. He's a person. The Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to love Him. You're going to have the Holy Spirit work in your heart in such a way that you see Him and the saving message of the gospel as the pearl of great price. That one for whom you'd say, Lord Jesus, I don't want to withhold anything from you. What do you want? You'll see Him as that treasure hidden in the field that a man sells everything he has. Read the book, Borden of Yale, one of the wealthiest men in America, says, I'm ready to die for the gospel. He gave up all that wealth and gave his life for the gospel joyously. That's the danger of these parables is we might believe them. We might see what's true and we might not listen to the noise and we might go forth together in our communities and in our world. Oh, what will happen Well, our prayers will be filled up with new things. We will pray with earnestness, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. Lord, would you rule this neighborhood over here? There's so many unreached people. Would you come and could you help us? We're weak, we're we're afraid, we're powerless. Could you help us evangelize this neighborhood of people that come from a country that we would be in danger if we were to go to, but they live in our community? Would you help us love them? Would you help us share with them? Your prayers will be filled up, and I'm going to warn you, your checkbook's going to be a little lighter. I never have thought in my life of myself as a rich person until the first time I went to Malawi. It's odd to be teaching a group of pastors and know by some pretty significant order of magnitude, I'm the wealthiest person in the room. I've got money in the bank. I've got a a retirement plan. What? What's that? I have enough to eat. I, I haven't in many years, the two of us haven't in many years wondered, how are we gonna pay for groceries? The folks I work with wonder that all the time. You'll hear a little more about that in Sunday school. It'll turn up your finances. Sometimes we feel like it's an obligation. I'm going to give a tenth. Man, that's a lot. 
<laughs> That's a lot, but I'm going to do that. But, you know, when the kingdom of God becomes so precious to you, you, you go from have to to get to. I get to help, compelled by the love of Christ. And, oh, yes, there's a danger if you begin to think this way and, and talk about it to your children. One day they may say, something's happening in my heart. I want to go to Japan. I want to go to China. I want to go serve in South America. We learned Spanish after all so that we could love our Spanish-speaking neighbors. Now I want to take that and help the church in a country. That could happen. Oh, and what a wonderful thing it could be that one day there's an adult baptism here that came from you seeing the kingdom of God. It occurred to me this week, you know, one of the things you do as an older pastor is uh, think about what would I do differently if I had it to do, if I had 20 more years of good health, I knew I was going to have it, I'd go plant a church somewhere, I'd start, I love it, uh, a young men's theology group, boy, I love that. I'd try to disciple a few young men, make sure they're loving their wives well, uh, reading their Bibles, praying, so much so that if they came and took all the pastors away, these men would, and their wives would still be able to grow in their faith. Maybe they'd be the new church pastor. But, but let me throw out another idea to you. Maybe you're already doing something like this. You have young people in your church. I was so delighted to walk in to see these young men and children. And... So imagine that two men that are growing in their faith, and it, let, women, let's call it two women, meet with four freshman boys or four freshman girls. Weekly, Bible study, prayer, discipleship, accountability, confession, just a, a little small group for, for four years. That, that's the mustard seed. What are you doing every time you meet? The gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. Hey, well, what about evolution? The gospel of the kingdom. Gospel of the kingdom. Hey, what about people who say there's more than male and female? The gospel. You just... You're just bringing truth every week. You're hearing it from the pulpit. You're hearing it other places, but they have a crisis. Who do they call? This person. Well, my dad's a real jerk. Let's talk about that. Well, I don't know. I've been around long enough to see kids that grew up in the church, some from birth, and they left the faith. And it breaks my heart. Now, Methods don't save souls. But boy, I wish we had poured more of the word and prayer into these young people. I wish our content had been more solid than it was, more intentional. I, I want to suggest that could be life transforming. I, I know it is because my daughter was in a group like that. Three people, two boys and a girl. The boy went, is planting a church in Richmond, Virginia right now. He was a leader in the Gospel Coalition. The two young women are very involved in their churches. Trying to, uh, they're married to, to godly Christian men. My younger daughter, that's a different story. I'm trying to get you to see that, that the great results start with the littlest things. What seems like an ordinary thing. 
just a Bible study, just as a Bible study. There's just four young women that are meeting with me and another lady, and uh, we're just going through the scriptures, learning to pray. Oh, the results could be spectacular. And I promise you that if there's some parent here whose daughter or son is in that group, and they're, they're really captured for Christ, they'll be your best friends forever. <laughs> you know, young Captain McDonald, he, he was just in one part of the battlefield. He, he didn't see the big picture. He didn't see that the German army was advancing over hundreds of miles of front and that lots of soldiers were being overrun. He thought he had failed and he was going to be court-martialed, but he held long enough that other soldiers were able to escape with their lives. He actually was given a medal, and the seeds of the defeat of the German army were in their apparent success. That may be exactly what's happening in our culture today. It looks like we're retreating. It looks like we're failing. But you know, people are going to try all these crazy ideas of living, and they're going to fail because there is one solid rock upon which we can build our lives, the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe there's somebody here that has not responded to the gospel of Jesus yet. Your pastor invited you to consider that today. I invite you to consider. Find out more. You say, I've got some questions. There are answers. I don't know all of them, but when somebody asks, I'll find out. <laughs> I'm sure your pastor, your elders are the same way. They would love nothing better than to say, you know, I, I'm not quite there. Here you say, I'm not quite there. I'm not sure where I'm at. I think you'll find an incredible welcome. It's easy to get discouraged. People walk away from the church. And people say, well, I, I have church at home. Who selected the elders there, I wonder? <laughs> How hard was that test? People walk away from the church. They walk away from the faith. They give in to a syncretistic Christianity. Same thing we fight in Africa that mixes modern ways and a few quotes from the Bible. But don't lose heart. Don't be afraid. The gospel seed grows mysteriously. The gospel multiplies and is powerful beyond our imagination. Pray about this. Think about this. Meditate on it. And then take action. Get involved with your generosity, your prayer, and the calluses on your hands. Let's pray. Lord, I'm not discouraged today because I read the Word of God and I'm encouraged. With you, all things are possible. You know we often feel discouraged and defeated. Remind us of the power of that which we believe and more importantly, the one in whom we've placed our trust, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King and Head of the Church. By the Holy Spirit, when His name is proclaimed, people are converted and made into disciples and brought into churches. Help us have hope today and faith. And I pray that one day I might live to hear a story of, of someone taking a step of faith with the blessing and encouragement of their leaders and of great fruit resulting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.